Three, two, one. <laughs> cool. I've just, we've just got breaking news. <laughs> Up to three oh, households really? can meet indoors during a five-day Christmas period between the 23rd and 27th of December. Three households. I saw there was like speculation on that, but has it been? Is it like official now? Apparently, it's been announced. Yeah. Well, in a lot of debates in this house about how we're going to sort out Christmas, so that actually means that we should be fine. Um, yeah. Um, That's good. <laughs> anyway, should we? Uh, let's get started. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, do you want to mention that? Or I mean, Gabe can keep this in if he likes. We can do an impromptu. Yeah, let's just. We can just, just start, just start now. now. <laughs> Uh, today we're joined by uh, Katie Powell, who's an old friend of ours from uni. Uh, how, you, how you doing, Katie? I'm good, thank you. How are you? <laughs> good, thank you. And also, obviously, joined by Jack, thank as you. always. How, how are you? How are you? You good? <laughs> yeah, I'm good. We always have good. to do this where we pretend that we haven't already had multiple conversations. Yeah, we haven't already today. been speaking for like <laughs> half an hour. <laughs> Having um, like a, what, a uni catch-up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly, yeah weekly catch-up um anyway this week uh with yeah this week we're talking about voluntourism and uh the white savior complex as our like first topics um i had to quickly look into these terms because i wasn't entirely sure of the like exact definition so i just quickly googled it voluntourism is obviously the clues in the name it's like a mix of volunteering and tourism um so it's it refers to the act of volunteering abroad generally in in poorly developed communities um and it's got uh quite a few sort of positive but also negative connotations around it um i was trying to look up like what the positive aspects would be and what negative ones were um people were saying that positive ones are stuff like uh you uh, there's like the training it provides training to poor communities um in in various parts of the world whether it be in in certain uh construction or like development areas uh it provides a cultural exchange um and also provides a free workforce to these areas um but the negatives uh are kind of quite similar one of them is like unskilled workers because people go out without necessarily the skills to end up to actually build um resources like i was reading about how a bunch of uh Europeans went to some African community and built a well really poorly and it didn't actually really end up helping the community there at all. Um, other things like uh, donations that these people get are used to fund the next lot of vol volunteers the following year. Um, it encourages dependency on European Europeans or Americans, you know, whoever is volunteering. Um, it also generally only focuses on short-term solutions. Um, as for white savior complex, that refers to a white person who provides help to non-white people in a self-serving manner. So, but I think that's quite, uh, it's quite vague. I don't know that term to me. I mean, feel free to step in if you, if you, if, if either of you have got a better um, definition for it or, or a better understanding, but um to me, white savior complex is seems like quite a negative connotation. I think it's been used in the media quite a lot to, in a negative way to, to describe people who go out to volunteer in, in other countries but don't necessarily really bring much to these communities. Um, 
Katie, I know you've uh, sort of you've you've volunteered in in uh, poorer communities in places like Africa. What are your thoughts on, on yeah. these two two topics? Um, I think now generally quite negative. Um, I've done like some research not extensive but i will be doing because i'm doing my dissertation on it but right. i have done some research into like the positives and negatives of volunteerism into like case studies and obviously i've had like first-hand experience of being a volunteer mm -hmm. um and like yeah i just don't have a very positive view of it right um what were your volunteering think... experiences where, where did you go and what did you do so i went with um international citizen service um, which is a scheme that's uh, funded by DFID, um, the Department for International Development. And they partner with eight different um, charities. So I went with International Service, my charity, and they, then they partner with um, different charities in developing countries. So the partner organisation that I was working for was Handicap Solidarity, which is um, an organisation that helps like fight the stigma around um, people with disabilities because for, um, for a long time there, there was a stigma that um, was like kind of tied to religion and that it was like a punishment for um, like sinning and um, from God to be given like a disabled child. Um, and so they went to kind of, like the organization tries to work against that. And now that's kind of moved on as well in the community I was in that's moved on. And so now they just help with like um, job, job opportunities and supporting them and like carrying on to educate um, young people so that the stigma doesn't kind of come back and like um, they carry on being like integrated well into society from a young age. Mm -hmm. um, so my what I actually did was work as a communications officer. So I did like blogs, social media. Um, translations because I was the only one from England that spoke French um, and I was in Burkina Faso so it's a French-speaking country mm -hmm. um, and yeah so like I ran all that side of things for the company with my counterpart who was um, Burkina Bay so like how sorry this is a really long explanation but how it all works is you have an equal number of UK volunteers as you do Burkina Bay volunteers or volunteers from whichever country you go to and you work in pairs so whatever you do is one english and one burkina bay mm -hmm. um and like they there is like a heavy focus on you because the whole reason that the government funds this is one it like um helps them to achieve their differed goals so their development goals and two it helps to provide um better job prospects for the english youth because this right. isn't like the most efficient way to use their money at all. There's no doubt about that. Like they could use their money in much more efficient ways by funding programs with skilled workers, people that are already professionals and kind of know what they're doing and would be much more useful. Because obviously I went out, I was 18 at the time. Um, I'd like just finished um, my A-levels. I didn't, I had like some life experience, like I traveled a bit and things, but apart from that, I don't have much to offer. Like I don't have any real skills that I've honed in over time and so that's the same for like everybody else I was volunteering with they were like university graduates that had gone straight from school to uni and then volunteered or on gap years like I was um so yeah like the main reason they do the program is just to like boost the 
the job prospects of the young people whilst meeting their goals. Um, and I just like came back basically feeling like it was a waste of time and a really? waste of money. And yeah, you felt that straight away um, after coming back. I think, yeah, even when I was out there, I remember having conversations with one of like my fellow volunteers about it and just feeling like frustrated that I couldn't see the change. And they, they tell you all this stuff like, um, you know, it's not, they like work towards long-term goals. So you're not going to see change straight away and like change has happened. And there are a few things that like you read back through old case studies they've done and stuff. And you can see that it has been positive change, mm-hmm. but I personally feel that it would be much quicker and it would have happened much more efficiently had they chosen to send or like to pay locals in the community or if they had to send international workers to send international workers that had skills and had experience and didn't spend like what a month maybe it takes you to like get to grips with what you're doing and get to yeah. grips with living there and stuff it doesn't um, feel like the work is being done to properly benefit the community the work is being done to benefit those that are going to that are volunteering to go and do the work um yeah um, kind definitely of like kind of, yeah and i think that's what it seems to me i mean i i one of the things that i said to brett before we we started doing the podcast was that i i feel incredibly uneducated on this issue and i actually had quite a visceral reaction to the phrase that was used so um i mean completely unwarranted and um because i don't know even nearly enough about about the issue but when brett said that we'd be talking about you know the white savior complex today i instantly got my back up and, and felt sort of uh, defensive without doing any kind of reading on the, on the issue whatsoever and I, I think it's important that we um, you know uh, face those kinds of uh, preconceived ideas about um, f- just a single phrase that we don't know anything about and a problem that uh, I think I've seen with a lot of charity work and something that there's a, an MMA fighter called Justin Wren who, who started a charity called Fight for the Forgotten um, he points this out a lot is that, that most big most larger charities aren't actually set up in a way that that like you said properly properly benefits the communities and lots of people ask him how they can get involved in helping directly with what he does and he says we're not doing we're we're not the work that we do is about um giving communities and he works with pygmy communities and he, he says it's about giving those communities sustainable help it's not about us, you know, being there forever. That's not our goal. We want to be there for as short a time as possible um, and helping them to live within their means in the ways that um, they have done traditionally, um, but just more sustainably. And I think that's maybe one of the things and where this conversation maybe becomes muddy in a lot of ways is when it becomes sort of insulting and there are probably um, conversations that need to be had that link, do, do, do they link this, is this linked back to forms of empire, forms of colonialism? I don't know what you think about that, Katie. Um, and I think that's maybe where the, the conversation can get uh, divisive and, and misguided and where what we really need to be doing is having conversations that are focused around really helping communities um, and doing what doing what we can to ensure that they they can you know live sustainably with, within their means without us uh do, going over and thinking we're doing a really good thing and creating a well or whatever in in this community that actually doesn't work so we're we're not benefiting these communities anyway we're actually making their situation worse um yeah i think like um in my reading i've come across um 
things like it's being called voluntourism being called like modern day colonialism mm. and another thing I came across was um um someone saying that the reason that people are so eager to volunteer and like although they have good intentions it's it's like powered by guilt it's like the guilt that you see these like have you heard of like poverty porn is it's... this like the i mean i i mentioned this to brett the, the stacy dooley image is quite a famous example of this right am i correct there yeah it's, yeah it's children in need and yeah yeah so you see like this poverty porn so you see all these african others because we feel separate from them we don't feel we can relate to them um and that they're like poor and they're helpless and they need a white savior to go and help them and that's kind of like the whole point of like why people feel they should volunteer and because they have this guilt that like we have all of this stuff like we're very we're very much a capitalist society we have a lot of material goods and we we see like there's a general um view that our lives in England and in America and other European countries, the places that mostly send volunteers, are better than the lives of those in Africa. And so then we need we feel guilty for that. And so we were like, oh well we now have to go and give them what we've got or like try and help them to gain that. And like I think on like a lot of countries don't want the life that we have and like not everyone wants to live in such a capitalist society and live how our country lives or how America lives or how whatever like they have their own structures and to think like that we need to go and give them the western way of life is mm. like can be quite damaging sometimes um I had another point yeah. now I can't remember oh, <laughs> to me I, I think that there's a balance between these two things right and I, I completely see where you're coming from and I can understand how um, the debate can move in that that direction and it, it can be construed as and there probably is an element of that like it definitely is an element of that what I I'm hesitant to do is to place the blame at the feet of the people that think they're doing something good so when we see um, you know yourself for example who went away and wanted to do something really positive I, the last thing I would want is somebody to you know point the finger at you and say you're using your white guilt to act as a white savior to um, take part in modern day colonialism I think that would be completely wrong and where the conversation needs to be directed is looking at what we can do to improve and adapt and move forward and not you know playing the blame game because it, there are a lot of good things that charities that western charities have done um, both at home and, and abroad you know you look at the uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation who have provided countless um who have saved millions of lives um providing um malaria uh nets and med medication and support for people in in africa so there there are obviously there is obviously a place for charity i don't think that i, I mean maybe you'll, you'd disagree but the, i don't know if the argument is well let's stop doing any kind of charity because it's all bad and it's all you know sort of modern day colonialism i don't know if you'd, you'd disagree with that but um there, there's it's probably a nice middle ground that can be found and that's where the, the conversation needs to be directed. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I'm not trying to like blame the of volunteers course, of course. at all because no, no, obviously like, yeah, I've been in that situation um, and like I, I know that I think 99% of volunteers like go with good intent and really do want to make a change and 
do something good and like a lot of the volunteer trips especially from like America are like Christian mission trips and they're led by faith and like yeah I do think like it's all very good intentions like for me I think it's I think the profit made off of it is like can kind of um cause issues I guess so like the volunteering I went on was with an organization and I would still say although I think I shouldn't have gone and like I think they could have made their money better I think it was one of the better kinds I don't know if I'm saying that because I've been and I want to feel better about it <laughs> or if like it's because you know it's partnered with the government which makes it seem more credible and it's run by an actual like um non-governmental organization so a charity whereas I know a few people and I have seen several organizations through my research which are like for-profit companies and they charge like four thousand pounds for four weeks in a country and you'll spend two weeks doing some kind of volunteering and then you spend two weeks learning scuba dive or going hiking or having some kind of holiday aspect and that's I think although I still think what I did was volunteer tourism I think that's the real like right. like peak of volunteerism because you are yeah. you are a tourist because you're traveling but you're also like you're volunteering and um there was one of these in my school when I was in year 11 and I went to one of their talks and it was like advice they were giving to the children that were going was like don't tell anyone that you're doing the holiday aspect because they won't want to donate to you and you have to raise all the money yourself mm -hmm. and you're not going to raise four grand to go on a volunteer trip if you're like oh but by the way I'm learning to scuba dive for two weeks and I'm actually only helping for two weeks and like at 16 it's like how much like can they give I know it's free labor how much can like how much can you actually give to a society and so I think it's those that are like to me the core issue because it's a for-profit business so they're obviously making money off of this and so I think some not all the time but a lot of the time that can mean that like their morals aren't in the right place because it's just like we're trying to make as much money as we can you know mm -hmm. um and like you're at that age, you're kind of so young that you don't know. Like the only reason I have done my research on this is because I've been and I wanted to look into it afterwards because I felt it was not like efficient. And because I do international development, it links in with yeah. my degree, so I can do that. Um, and yeah, I think like there's just a lot, all sorts of problems around for-profit companies mm -hmm. running these trips for me. When I um did a quick bit of googling, the articles I found sort of you know, explaining explaining these terms and explaining voluntourism, were talking about how important it is to um research these organisations before you 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 choose one to 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 go with, um because they it might if you are going out there to try and make a change and to volunteer, you might end up going out and not necessarily um feeling that way, um. I've heard of um, programs that are now sort of trying to focus a bit more on um, educating people in poorly developed communities or giving people the resources to do, make the change themselves rather than people going and, and making the changes, if you see what I mean. Um, I think it's something that, um, was it Comic Relief or Children in Need? Children in Need is the one that's based in the UK about, oh. yeah, so Comic Relief. Um, I think Comic Relief came under some fire a few years ago for, you know, amassing all this money and um, paying for things for things like, you know, malaria and um, 
uh, medicine and nets against mosquitoes and that kind of thing, but not actually uh, putting the money into the the communities and societies out there, or or not helping in a in a in a long term way. Um, do you, is there a shift happening towards that kind of that kind of help rather than the, the these yeah this voluntourism? Do you think? I hope so. <laughs> I don't know. I think I think it's really hard to say. Yeah. Um, I can't say. I've like looked into. Would you prefer to see that? Um, like the comic release? Yeah, I yeah. absolutely. Like from my research, I kind of so far um, I'm at the conclusion that if we can get volunteer, like skilled professionals, to volunteer and go on these trips, and for example, doctors. Maybe there's a community that like needs training on how to give immunizations. Mm-hmm. They're gonna like stop um, such a high rate of like infection and of death caused by disease. That I think is excellent. Like if we can get doctors from places that have been trained to go and train people in the community and like have a train the trainer system. So like a doctor trains another a, doc- a doctor from say the UK trains a doctor from a developing community. Mm-hmm this doctor then gets taught how to train other doctors so we don't have like that no one from the UK has to go back or like once the program is like started and has been successful that's it like they can train each other Mm -hmm. and it's that's the kind of like sustainable voluntourism that you kind of want to see and I think that's the thing that I think will be really positive yeah I think going and doing the job for them when we can employ locals if there's locals that already know how to do it we don't need to like send volunteers from the uk or from europe or from america that's that's collaboration isn't it you know that's what it, we, sh- we should be about that's the good parts of of living in a more globalized world is that we can share resources and work together and have uh, uh, these projects that are rooted in humanity and making the world a better place for everybody and um not you know uh, getting a quick buck off of doing two weeks of sort of work and then two weeks of learning to scuba dive like you said that's probably not the best way of doing things and um unfortunately and i i obviously falling into the trap this is two different stories now and I, less on this one than um what was going on in france that we spoke about on the, the live show but there's two stories now where i've read a headline and just sort of falling into the trap of forming some semblance of an opinion without really knowing um what I'm talking about um and I think we all do it don't we we all do it but um that's why it's so important like you say to listen to people like yourself who have far more of an idea of what they're talking about than than I did and uh being reasonable in in discussions because this is something that's obviously really important and I think that that most people can agree that we want to work towards creating a, a better world um whether you believe that you know uh, foreign aid should be scrapped or not um, which is obviously a big big debate that people are having at the moment um, I think that most people want to see people living longer don't want to see people dying of diseases that you essentially can't die of in countries like the UK um, and which is why maybe things like you were talking about the what, what did you call it the poverty porn um, does work on people because it it, it does tug at our, our heartstrings you know it does hurt to see people suffering and people want to help and it's just about having you know proactive conversations that steer things like sustainable development in the right direction and not um uh put for-profit companies um in a position where they're benefiting off of systems that actually aren't aren't working particularly well 
I was yeah, just... I think it's... Sorry, go on. Sorry. Okay. I think it's like having the conversations in the right way as well. Because like, even when I started my research, I was talking to someone about it and they were like, well, you did exactly the same thing. And I was like, yeah, but it was different because it was with an NGA. And I thought about it and I was like, it's not different. Like, I know how I felt when I was there and I know how I felt when I came back. And like, although it's different because it's not for profit, I did, I fell into the same, like, I did the same things as someone that goes to the company did. You know, I, I didn't contribute to anything sustainable. I didn't feel like I did. And it's it was quite hard coming to terms with that and being like, I am also mm-hmm. partaking in this. And like, if I'm going to try and educate other people, I need to come to terms with that. And I think having conversations in like a sensitive way or like educating them before they maybe choose to go with a for-profit company that's a, like a holiday trip and volunteering in one and like so that people don't feel attacked because I think once you feel attacked you shut off and you don't want to know and you don't want to learn and it takes longer to like come to terms with it or you never do because you're like well if you're just going to tell me that I've done something wrong then I don't want to know you know so I definitely think like how we educate people is really important for sure I haven't watched um comic relief at all recently i remember watching it like it was for some reason it was uh, like a tradition every year when i was growing up to watch it because of the you know the comedy acts i guess or whatever the skits that they would do but i remember it making me really uncomfortable seeing those like those like poverty porn adverts with like ewan mcgregor out there for some reason or you know some other big star that that's gone out to say that's got you know millions in the bank but is out there saying you have to donate to help these people yeah. they need you that is essentially what it is isn't it it's like look look at look at me i'm incredible i'm this film star look at how awful these people's lives are please donate and it's it's i mean it's when you put it in those terms which is essentially you know that's essentially what it is and you don't want to negate uh, the reason that people donate which is because they people want to help people want to do the right thing and um that's obviously good is that it's it, you know it is uncomfortable and I, I remember the same thing it's like not even necessarily watching the show because you felt like it was important to watch it but you know uh somebody might do a funny act so we'll watch yeah. it for entertainment and then we'll you know mm-hmm. feel bad and feel like we're learning a bit about these communities and then i oh, will all laugh because ali g interviews you know david and victoria beckham or whatever it was that's like the most famous one that i remember um it's not great <laughs> No. Yeah, it's like here, feel sad for these people, but now we'll make you laugh so that you don't like, mm. so that you come yeah. back and watch the show. <laughs> yeah. 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 What are, it, I want to kind of try and return to the, the white savior complex um, term or expression, especially because it made Jack uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess that kind of, that, what we've just spoken about, the, these celebrities going out there and, and you know, these white faces amongst the, you know, the, the, these, the native people of Africa, you know, showing how much better off they are in those circumstances and not really what there's like a picture of some famous celebrity hugging a child and out there or, or coddling someone and reassuring them as they're about to, or they're close to dying from malaria or something. It's, um, do, do you think seeing those kind of, <laughs> I don't know if this is maybe a bit too crude, but seeing those kind of images and this kind of, that kind of, yeah, that kind of imagery and um, voluntourism and that sort of thing, do you think it promotes, I don't want to say racism because I think that might be a bit too strong, but 
promotes this inferiority complex or or superiority complex yeah um i actually i did some reading into this because i was looking at how social media can um perpetrate the white savior complex and like i think what i found was it reinforces just this idea of like the english white or the european white superior and the poor african other mm-hmm. and like like i said earlier it just reinforces the idea of like helplessness and like we're there to save them and um i found in my reading like another definition of white savior complex it was phrased as privileged individuals feeding their ego um and i've got a quote here from um muhammad um 20 uh, from 2013 and it's as the gap between rich and poor widens, so too it seems the need for those of the global north to assuage their guilt of their privilege. So I think like they have a point there. Like I think it does widen the gap and it makes you it does make you feel a bit detached because it's like, oh, you feel so sorry for them, but it's like you're never gonna be in that position. And that's the idea, and it, it kind of reinforces that idea. You see like one of your friends out like and they're posting a photo with a small black child from Africa and it's like oh wow they're helping someone that's like so poor and like such a sad life and it's so inferior and although you might not realize you're thinking those things I think it's so ingrained in us from like watching adverts growing up from watching comic relief from like the fact that especially for me like in Devon it's not diverse this is a very white community um and I think like we're just we're not exposed to like the positive side of life in developing countries like you think of a developing country and I think for most people the first thing you think of is poverty the first thing you think of is like sick children Ebola people dying and like you I just think it's so ingrained in our subconscious we don't even realize that we're doing it and I think like just continuing the like to like continuing volunteerism and continuing the adverts of the celebrities and the poor African ch- children and continuing to post Instagram pictures where you're like having giving these children the best like moment of their day and things like that just reinforces this this narrative which I think in turn can be quite harmful Mm -hmm. I think I think the I don't know because even now I'm feeling like I want to push back on some of the stuff that that you've both said but I don't actually know why and I I think I think it's because I, I want to I don't want to lay the blame and I'm not necessarily saying that 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 you're you're doing this but I, I i i don't want to lay the blame at the feet of the people that believe truly that they're trying to do something good and i think there are a lot of people most people that partake in this kind of thing do genuinely believe that they're making a difference do want to make a difference do want to help and that maybe we're just misguided in our direction um and that's why it maybe makes because it's quite aggressive language right and maybe it's 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 that there for a reason um and i, I think that there is an element of it reinforcing some um deeply ingrained views of developing nations that we have in this country and like i've said in a lot of these um instances especially when we're we're talking about race is that i've had to do a lot of introspection in a lot of my views or you know we're speaking about white privilege was something again that i was deeply uncomfortable in accepting was something that impacted me um but through listening and through understanding and not just pushing back and not partaking in the sort of political games is something that I realise uh, is something that exists. And when looking at 
the true definitions of that and have it taken a nuanced position is something that that we we should um try and understand and it's probably the same in in this instance um what do you think of of things like uh is it gift in a box christmas in a box what was it called do you know what i'm talking about you know in school i don't know whether you did is it like when you buy like goats and stuff on no, it was like <laughs> and like we all brought in a in primary school we did it and uh, we did it in love in a box that's that's what it was called in in school in in secondary school we did it and i actually organized a scheme um when i was head boy I just just remembered this uh where we um put together gifts in a shoebox for uh, a school i can't remember where the school was based but um it was i i, I believe it was somewhere in africa and we shipped over these these boxes and it was Christmas presents for children that, um, you know, wouldn't have got Christmas presents, essentially. Um, stuff like that. Do you think that falls into the same remit? Because I can tell you that we genuinely believed and still probably, I would argue, felt that we were doing something good um, and something that was going to, going to benefit people. Um, but again, it makes you look at your own actions, right? And it's, it's good. It's, you know, it's, yeah. it's important. Do you think that falls into the same category? Um. Just a comment first on um, like not blaming people. I think like I'm not obviously trying to blame people that go, but I think like a lot of um, good intentions are also like mix of ignorance and not trying to use that as like an offensive word, but just in that we haven't been educated through school and things on these issues. And like I have only come across them in my own reading. I haven't even learned about them through my degree or anything really. Um, but yeah, okay, I've not really thought about, I think it's like the Christmas shoebox appeal or something. They do it yeah, as well. Exactly I don't know right. if there's different. Yeah, yeah I um, haven't really thought about that before. I think just like initial thoughts are that, um, I think like there's a, there's a cultural difference between obviously every single country. And I don't know what the Christmas culture is in that country if Christmas is celebrated I think there's like a lot of things that I obviously haven't looked into because I've not really thought about this but like as nice as it is to receive gifts like when people could buy gifts for me for like Christmas I think it's such a tradition in England and we are like a Christian country and so obviously we celebrate it here or the majority of people celebrate it but um like I don't know if people who are receiving these boxes celebrate Christmas. I don't know if they, that's that their religion. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just kind of I, yeah. I, think I like. Me, I think it's... it's a nice gesture for sure. Mm. And like, yeah, I don't know. I don't see any harm in it really. Yeah. From like just thinking about it I like it's definitely something I'd probably quite like to go look into now that you've mentioned it yeah, after this yeah. podcast um, uh, and uh, just read uh, more about but yeah I don't I don't see any harm in... yeah I think from my point of view it's it's uh, important that we look on uh, each of the cases like sort of you know on a case-by-case basis and we don't mix everything up in this one uh or put everything now in, in, into this one box of you know that is uh, voluntourism or these people have a white saviour complex and that's why they're doing it uh, and it whilst important it, it is to realize that these prejudice prejudices do exist and they do 
um, impact our worldview and the things that we do and the way that we look look at things. It doesn't mean that we can't do things that are um, that are founded through love and a common values of humanity and uh, wanting to improve people's lives. And that's you know it, it, it's difficult. It's a difficult conversation. And it it requires like a lot of the conversations that we end up having on the podcast a lot of nuance. Um, and uh, it takes a lot of a lot of introspection. So, sorry, Brett. I guess yeah. I just wonder if the people who received those um, gifts uh, were grateful of it of that or not. Because I guess it would ask it would it would take asking the people in in those kind of communities. Because I wonder if, if they see it as a one time thing where it's like wow we got these amazing these nice little gifts. This is you know really nice. We're very grateful. Or if it's a case of they get a bunch of um, these kind of packages throughout the year, and um, but and see it more of a more as a sort of I don't know um, they're getting stuff that they don't necessarily need. They are more in need of something else, and it seems to them like they're like these you know privileged white Europeans are constantly sending like gifts and stuff. But what they really need is money or food or education or health care or whatever the situation is we i'm almost yeah. certain that, that we received a video from one of the teachers of um the students opening the presents and now you know you might say that that's right. uh, poverty porn or something but um it was, it was no. uh, it, and, and, and that was positive and it was pretty incredible yeah pretty incredible i mean they don't have them, to you know? send that back right so if they do send something like that back i guess it's yeah. probably for safe to assume that they were very great yeah and i've seen and i've seen similar similar kinds of of things but again it's we, we you know we, when we're talking about education and healthcare and uh, ending poverty in, in countries to what extent can we impact that and I, I think that's the important thing when we're talking about um sustainable development in case you'll you'll again know more more about this than than i will there are the they're the things that as a government you need to be trying to to uh, um promote and say you know we don't we don't just want to send money to charities willy-nilly and hope that they do the right thing but we there are, are values that we want to promote throughout the world not through a form of, of colonizing a country and then enforcing those values on them but working with countries to ensure that there is good, you know good education systems good healthcare systems um you know uh, mm. jobs and etc etc and that they're the sort of things that we need to be doing in in terms of collaboration um, alongside this other stuff, not just you know donating a section of our GDP to uh, foreign aid um, and just going right there we go we've done our job now we're doing good yeah. in the world that's not how we should be how should, how we should be doing things and that's kind of where where I sit I suppose mm-hmm. yeah I think back to like the shoe boxes as well I like kind of get where you're coming from Brett I think like sometimes it's like are they gonna use the things we send but I'm, yeah. from what i remember they give you like a list of what to include what not to include oh right i'm hoping yeah. that it's based on like their research okay. and that they will put on that list things that they like, would actually be wanted but i'm not sure because i haven't looked into it mm-hmm. but i think like i've just been thinking about it while you were speaking i think the shoebox appeal compared to like volunteerism i think the shoebox appeal is like selfless like you don't gain anything from that apart from feeling good that you've done something that is good and that you've like sent this package you don't really gain anything like it's not something you can put on your cv it's not going to get you a job it's not gonna yeah you know you're not going to get like social media followings from it or anything Mm -hmm. like that you're not getting an experience like you would 
if you were to go abroad yeah volunteerism like you do gain something that there's no doubt about it like I I didn't necessarily like think that I did anything great but I've probably got quite a lot of opportunities because of that because I can demonstrate that I've you know lived in a completely different community to where I live usually and like I can demonstrate I've been sensitive to someone else's culture mm-hmm. there's just lots of skills that you gain as a person and so I think that's where like as well that there's like quite a big difference in those things like it's not selfless and as much as you can try and do it as a selfless act and with good intent it's never going to be because you're always going to gain something from it unless you never tell anyone you go I guess then you're not but <laughs> acceptable then if you acknowledge that you're not doing it as a selfless act you acknowledge that you are partaking in voluntarism is it then more would you see that then as being more ex- acceptable or would you still think the practice in itself is inherently sort of morally incorrect? I don't think it's like unacceptable or unacceptable to want to do it. Because like, like you were saying earlier, like I don't think it's the fault of volunteers and I do think if people have good intentions. I don't know really. I think if you're like, oh, I'm going to help these people for myself. <laughs> like good for you for being honest but <laughs> um, you're probably going to get a bit of backlash <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but then like that kind of just ties to like um like if a different thing that's like um no act is ever selfless i don't know if you've heard that like friends, you gain though. something from everything you do yeah, yeah. that's a joke about their right. friends Absolutely. wasn't it i think I've anyway. never, do you know what? I've never seen Friends. I know. I can't believe that. It's crazy. I like binge watched the whole series a couple of years ago, like from start to finish. It was yeah. long. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't appeal to me. No, I've had. There's lots of mixed opinions on it now because it's is quite that... outdated. I think. I still think it's really yeah. progressive for a show in the '90s. Anyway, this is really a different conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um... <laughs> Let's move on to current events. Um, the yes. the first event that I wanted to talk about was um, Boris Johnson announced a 10-point plan last week for a green industrial revolution, which um, he's apparently putting £12 million uh, pounds into. Billion. Billion. Billion pounds, sorry. Yeah, million. That's a very small amount. Um, <laughs> uh, these points, well, some of these input points include uh, investment in offshore wind, uh, hydrogen and nuclear energy, um, banning the sale of cars and vans with internal combustion engines uh, by 2030, which I think is earlier than they originally promised in their uh, manifesto. Uh, Alongside that, there's more incentives to car manufacturers to make electric vehicles um, and and to consumers to buy them, um, such as making it cheaper or uh, and so on, and and creating um, grants and that sort of thing for the manufacturers. Uh, investment in charging points, um, promoting research projects to decarbonize planes and boats, and so on. Um, I know you're both very environmentally conscious, so to me, this seems like a pretty good step in the in the right direction. Um, what are both of your thoughts on that? It's not good enough, Brett. It's a good start. It's a good start, <laughs> and it's important that we head in this direction. But it's it's not it's not good enough. I know we have the same. I say the same thing every time this conversation comes up and um, I don't want to, you know, rain on the parade of the government who seem to be pretty chuffed with themselves that they're starting to do something. 
the 2050 target isn't good enough um the uh the amount of money isn't good enough the steps aren't good enough the incentives for businesses still aren't good enough the um cracking down on oil and gas companies uh still isn't strong enough um so yes it is a good step it is, it is a step in the right direction and it's good that at least something is being done it's more than other countries not that i think that that's you know i, I really don't like that argument when i hear people say well uh, why should we do more when other countries aren't uh, you know that's not an argument for us not to do the right thing um it is it is more than, than some other countries are doing it's also uh, not as much as a lot of other countries are doing. So uh, we, we, we still need to do more. We, we need to be pushing f for more. And lots of um, uh, environmental activist organisations and individuals have, have come out and said that, again, it's, it's not enough. Um, we, we, we need to be... We, we need, you know, a green industrial revolution um, would be committing over the next five to ten years to completely change the economy to be green... Uh, this isn't um, a green and environmentally friendly. This isn't that. Um, this is some incentives um, to try and move the, the economy in, in that direction. I, I still don't see us um, achieving a lot of these aims with, with what we're doing at the moment. And that's another thing with a lot of these promises is that they sound good. They seem good. It sounds like a lot of money. Um, 12 billion quid sounds like a lot of money. It isn't really in the grand scheme of things. Uh, when we're talking about investment um, over quite a long period of time as well. Um, the, the Labour Party, uh, Ed Miliband, who is the um, Shadow Secretary for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, came out and said a similar sort of thing, that um, 30 billion was needed over the next, uh, I think he, he said year and a half. Um, yeah, 18 months. Um, so uh, the opposition saying that this isn't, isn't enough money. Um, and I don't even see them achieving a lot of these aims, to be perfectly honest with you. I, I've obviously followed the, the government's moves to net zero by 2050. And um, almost everybody that I've spoken to in the renewable sector has said uh, at the moment, it doesn't seem like that's anywhere near achievable. So um, it, the targets aren't ambitious enough and the moves to achieve those targets aren't good enough, in my, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I think like <laughs> I think some step like any step is better than no step, but it's yeah. it's not good enough. Like they haven't brought anything in on air travel either, which is like a big thing. And I'm yeah. not really sure why there's no like no movement on that. Um, I mean, it does say I that they are well, promoting like... research projects to decarbonize planes, but other than okay. that, yeah, I don't. That's but then again, not a lot, is it? Yeah, no. there's no then... guarantee with that. <laughs> no. But then again, there isn't much air travel happening at the moment either, so I don't. So maybe I think that's. Yeah, I think that's temporary, but maybe. Yeah, <laughs> I think the lack of air travel is temporary, but maybe I'm just being optimistic about COVID, so is. we don't know. But um, <laughs> I think. Um... I've got another point Sorry. on air travel. Are, are you dribbling, Brett? No. <laughs> Eighty percent of of um, airplane emissions are um, are produced by one percent of the population. Did you know that? I saw this recently. This statistic. Yeah. 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 Crazy. Is that just recurring Crazy. businessmen? Yeah. Flying about. Essentially. Essentially. Yeah. One percent yeah. of the population is involved in eighty percent of and, the carbon. And rich population. people who can just 
get about with their private jets. Absolutely. And what we need to be doing is incentivizing people in a, in a uh, sustainable way to move away mm. from these modes of transport that are so damaging to the environment. Not to mention, all of this stuff is great, right? All of this stuff is great. But if you don't start to tackle the five companies that are responsible for a third of all carbon emissions, nothing's going to be done. Absolutely nothing mm-hmm. is going to be done. So, yeah, you know, it's great. You see BP running these adverts now. We need to achieve a green society. They're still investing far more money into re- research and development, into um, new ways of extracting oil and gas to, you know, keep raking in massive profits um, than they are into moving their themselves to, to um, being um, environmentally friendly and sustainable. So until we, we start seeing those moves um, and truly incentivizing new companies, new businesses to be able to um, uh, achieve net zero, then we're not, we're not going to, we're not going to achieve, achieve the targets. And I appreciate Brett that you want to be, give them the benefit of the doubt and, you know, try and be optimistic. And I I do see where you're coming from. And I do see where people are coming from. What were the, uh, what pledges did they make in their manifesto regarding the environment? Is this, um, equal is, to what they said, or is it? Uh, yeah, I think it's maybe a little bit more optimistic in some areas. Um, I don't think this is the entirety of their plan. I don't know off the top of my head what they said. Um, there, there, there are. This is something that Boris Johnson seemingly cares about, um, and they do want to do things to be able to, you know, um, move the economy forward in this way. Something else that's weird to me um, in all of these pledges is that they just in, in these point plans they say that this is going to create. 10,000 jobs there's or 60,000 jobs offshore wind producing enough offshore wind to power every home quadrupling how much we produce um to 40 gigawatts by 2030 supporting up to 60,000 jobs there's no actual explanation as to where those jobs are going to come from um they just sort of put a uh, you know 60,000 jobs out there as if we all go okay great 60,000 jobs and yes these things will create new jobs obviously they will um and it's really important that we move in this direction to create lots of jobs where are those jobs going to come from? How are people going to train to be able to achieve those jobs? You can't just, you know, tell somebody to go and produce a, um, a wind turbine without any training. You know, there, you know, we, there needs to be uh, the, the right training to be put in place so people can move into this sector. Um, and we need to be looking into investing type, the types of offshore um, and onshore renewable energies that are going to be sustainable in the future. So something that um we need far more investment in is tidal power we have the capability in this country to um support massive amounts of our energy mix off of tidal power uh, tidal stream uh, it, it's something that that we need to put far more money into um uh researching it i'm not just saying that because it's you know part of my part-time work and i work in the sector but it's, it's something that could be Are really so it's something that could be really beneficial to the country. Um, and we it gets pittance compared to the subsidies that oil and gas companies get. So, um, you know, it frustrates me. It, it really does frustrate me when we, you know, have these conversations. And whilst, yes, I agree, it's a step in the right direction. To me, it isn't enough. What do you two think about nuclear power? I mean, um... <laughs> there's not... I, I think that it's been... Um what's the word uh people have got the hang of it <laughs> that's what i was gonna say like that people it, it, 
<laughs> people know now, I think, how to handle nuclear energy without disasters it's in, occurring. It's incredibly safe. Exactly. Incredibly yeah. Safe. So I don't, I don't see any kind of reason why it shouldn't be used. I don't know much about it, but I did some research into like the green um, revolution before this, and I read somewhere that it's really expensive. Um, and I don't know, so that's all, all the information I got really. But I don't, I don't really know enough about lot, it to have an it opinion. Is, yeah, lots of waste. Um, we we already have new nuclear reactors, so Hinkley Point is a, a good example of this. Um, and we can't achieve net zero if that's our target without some kind of nuclear energy so i i'm not an, at all an advocate of saying we don't use any any nuclear energy something it's the third point of this plan um advancing nuclear as a clean energy source across large-scale nuclear and developing the next generation of small and advanced reactors it, it, it takes and you know this is similar with um other areas um of of renewable energies but particularly so and it's it's not renewable particularly so in um nuclear in the case of nuclear the the pollution and the carbon emissions that are generated from building a nuclear power site are huge there is an incredible mm. amount of waste that gets created um and building new spending vast amounts of money to build new nuclear power sites seems completely counterproductive to me um, that, that might surely, not... surely any kind of tidal um, energy project would also um, involve a lot of far less emissions. because it's concrete is incredibly uh, energy intensive to to create, and there's vast mm. amounts of concrete that are needed to create a nuclear power plant. Um, tidal is it, it, it comparatively was there it needs to be a lot of funding for research and development when you're talking about cost to efficiency. It's far more. Um, far more efficient far more effective uh, but it's a far uh, um, earlier stage of development so that's the payoff you know it, it, these things take a lot of investment um but then again you look at the subsidies that are still going to oil and gas companies and you say why isn't that money being redirected to um emerging uh, emerging renewable energies companies so um yeah. positive steps but a lot more needs to be done is you know i know i get on my ranty high horse about this issue but <laughs> Um, anyway, yeah, let's move on to the next uh, topic then. The next topic is um, based on an article from Sky. I think I saw a similar one in the BBC as well. It talks about uh, how new researchers found 51% of young women and girls experienced harassment over the last summer, uh, which has prompted calls for um, public sexual harassment to become a criminal offence. Um, the campaign uh, Crime Not compliment i believe was launched yesterday to to um combat this to to try and make public sexual harassment um illegal uh, harassment in this sense includes being catcalled followed groped flashed and upskirted apparently uh katie as a, a a person of the female gender we are you shocked at all by this uh these statistics by these findings no. no. Because <laughs> I don't think I know a single female that hasn't been harassed in some form. Yeah. I mean, and reading that, through I the article. have it regularly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, reading through the article, it was shocking to hear about all the 
there's other st statistics where I, I recommend going and have a looking, ha having a look at the article. It talks about how parents feel like uh, 70 or 80 percent of parents feel uncomfortable letting their kids go out at their they're sorry their girls their young girls go out at, at night um and that sort of thing um but i was still quite shocked when i when i saw the the headline i don't know about you jack but uh, I, I wasn't um to be honest with you uh i've it boggles my mind that this is such a it, the, the thing that shocks me is that this is such an still such a, a, a massive issue when I feel like it's something that maybe it's just the circles that I'm in. This is something that we're far more aware of um, and are able to call out more. Um, but from speaking to female friends and family members, it's not something that, that, that shocks me that it still occurs so much. And being in, in places at university, when you, when you go out, you can see it with your own eyes and, um, yeah. You know, we, we've spoken about this to some extent on, on the podcast before. Um, it takes a massive societal shift to be able to, to change this. And I think we're heading, hopefully, in the right direction. This it, Street harassment is illegal in in plenty of European countries, France, Belgium, France, Belgium and Portugal um, in particular. Um, the, the, so I have a couple of questions about how I, I'm totally on board in principle. From a policy point of view, I have a couple of questions, and th there's a couple of things that um, are involved. Well, one in particular that's that's um, uh, in the the sort of definition of what would be seen as being public sexual harassment, and I'm asking this not from a place of um, thinking that it, nothing should change, but from a place of ignorance. Catcalling is is um, included in this. Would you say? Katie, that catcalling is on the same level as, or on the same, um, yeah, on the same level as, as, as like upskirting and um, groping and that kind of thing. Would you say that that would be something that should be enforced in the same way as those those things? Um, I think obviously it's going to vary from person to person what they think. Like personally, I think I. I'd say like it's I don't find it as bad but I still think it should be a punishable offense for sure like I've been catcalled plenty of times and it's horrible like you think like when someone says it and I'm if it's never happened to you I don't know how you obviously react to it but I imagine that you're like I'm just saying something you know like why can't you just ignore it or I'm not saying that you guys would think this but it it's like when it hasn't happened for a while or you haven't experienced it, you kind of don't realise the effect it has. And it happened to me a f like a few months ago when I was still at uni. It just made me so angry and so upset. Yeah. And like, you feel so powerless and vulnerable. And like, especially when it's like from a car, because they're about to drive off. Like, there's not much you can do in that situation. And yet you feel really vulnerable, even though you know that they're about to leave. And it's just like it made me so mad that someone has the power to take away like my feeling of security and to make me feel like so upset and vulnerable just by shouting something out of a window yeah and, like I think it's more like that side of it I don't know I think that's the thing that people don't see which is why they think like it's acceptable to do it yeah yeah I don't really yeah. understand what they expect how yeah. they expect us to react either like I just think you don't see that side of it and people don't really talk about it like 
how it feels to be catcalled and how it can affect you. And I think if you've had previous experience with maybe what I would describe as more serious harassment, like being groped or if you'd assaulted or something like that, like you don't know the impact that's going to have on somebody if you then catcalled them. Yeah, yeah. I, I completely I... agree. Sorry, but I, I just completely agree. Oh, go ahead. I don't know if it should be illegal. That's the only one where I'm not sure. And I've, I've never been catcalled. I don't know how it it feels. I, I'm sure it feels awful. I could never comment on that. And I, I it makes me angry. You know, I've been with my sister when something's been shouted out the window of a van. I can tell you how angry it makes me. Um, I've been in bars or clubs where f- friends have been... Um, sexually harassed one pretty nasty case in particular but i'm sure you remember in the last year of, of university um and i you know uh won't go into it but you know we, we weren't particularly happy when it when it happened um no. i could never say i could never say how, how how that would make me feel if it happened to me but i don't know whether it should be illegal that one specifically i don't know how you would enforce it i don't know what punishment you could give to somebody for that um it's awful it's horrible um as men i think we should be doing far more to call out other men that are committing these acts and we need to you know say that it's not only women who are sexually harassed obviously it happens to guys as well but um in particular harassment to men we need to be far brave braver in calling out other men that are partaking in this these acts it's not funny it's not laddie it's not bantery if you're out with your mates and one of your friends is you know being grotesque you need to you know be brave enough to to stick up and say i know it can be difficult but that's our job to make these societal changes in saying you know that's not right and i think a lot of it is a case of of education um but um apart from that i'm you know totally on board the fact that this these aren't punishable offenses like upskirting is so disgusting that is such a disgusting act how that isn't already illegal i have no Mm. idea you know, it, it, that just completely boggles my mind. I um I do think catcalling should be illegal. Um, because even for the sole reason that if it's made illegal, hopefully that that fear of being caught will deter people from doing it. I actually I don't want to sound insensitive, but I actually um do have experience of being catcalled by men because and I remember a specific incident in Portsmouth. Um, on that road that HB's on, walking up towards the student union. I was walking up there, and because I've got long hair, I was mistaken for a for a woman, and a car drove past, honked, and they shouted something like, nice ass or something at me. And I turned around, and then they realised, but they, by that point, they'd already driven past and gone. Um, and it's that feeling that Katie was saying, of like, even then, me, I don't have something to fear day to day, you know, from men generally, but um, but I felt really, you know, powerless in that situation and embarrassed and like, and uh, yeah, worked up about it and angry and, but it didn't feel like you could really do anything about it. So, yeah. So, I think, uh, yeah, sorry, carry on. No, no, okay. Um, I like, I understand what you're saying, Jack, like for sure. I think it would be really, really hard to enforce. And I think there wouldn't be very many cases where someone was penalized for it. Um, I also agree with Brett like I think even if it's just as a deterrent like less people are going to do it if it's illegal because mm-hmm. they don't want to get caught yeah and if there is a punishment and 
Yeah. And in I that just... kind of situation, you can, like, if a car, with the, if somebody drives by in a car, you can, like, try and memorize their number plate and then report that. Or, or if. Take a photo. Yeah, or take a photo. Or even if there's just police in the street, people are probably less likely to, to do it if they are wary of the fact that there might be a policeman stood behind them and who sees it. And, and... Still not enforceable, though, is it? Even then, I, I completely see where you're, excuse me, it's completely see where you're both coming from. Um, and agree about the uh, how how awful it is a, of a thing to do, but even then, uh, and just because you can't enforce it, does that mean it shouldn't be illegal? Um, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe, I just, maybe not. I'm just going to take it to like an extreme to put it into like better context. Sure. Uh, there's many rape cases that you can't. There's no hard evidence of it, and it's it's hard to enforce like um not enforce it but it's it's hard to like go to court and to prove that someone's raped you if you're a rape victim and i think like i wouldn't say that shouldn't be illegal because it's it's difficult to like prove that someone's done it it's difficult to punish someone for that because i think it's like i understand what you're saying like catcalling it's like you don't really have unless you happen to get it on video or something like there's no proof that it's happened and like it would be hard to enforce but i think it's the same with rape i think like it's it's not it's not the kind of crime that's like you're gonna have hard evidence against the person that's done it to you it's kind of something that's they're still different i i yeah for sure but they are still they're different levels of of, there is vastly different levels of criminality there isn't there i mean we we spoke to um, yeah i was just taking to to the extreme of course (laughs) course. um and and if you were to make that if you get to make catcalling a crime, would you have to make other forms of, of street abuse a crime? You know, if somebody goes off at someone in a sweary tirade, would that then qualify as being a crime as well? Um, because of, of the abuse that that entails? I mean, hate speech is a crime, right? But what encompasses hate speech? Well, I mean... I guess that's, that's the same for catcalling, like, what class what, yeah. what yeah, is... Do you know? Do you see where I'm I'm coming from? And I'm, I, I I want to be really careful not to make mm. it seem like I I don't think that it's a really heinous thing to do because I do. I just I'm not sure about the the legality of that specific issue. And I not to take away from how important this campaign is because I think it's a really important campaign. Um, mm-hmm. And and it's interesting that you mentioned Brett. And this is probably how open and and like widespread this is. But you remember? We, I mean, we dressed up as and I not to trivialize the issue at all. We dress up, yeah. dressed up as Spice Girls for Halloween one year, um, and I was in a skirt and a little top and a wig, and I was groped that night. And you know, not I wouldn't suggest that I was sexually harassed personally. Not to say that that isn't a form of sexual harassment because it most definitely is, um, and it's probably because I didn't feel that level of vulnerability, which is obviously a massive part of it. Um, but just how open people are many many people are to just doing those acts um it's it's really really scary i think and and um yeah i mean i it, katie i don't know if you've uh, how, how can we go forward i mean this is obviously a step making these things illegal you obviously feel that but as a society to make these things far less prevalent do you think it's a case of in, ensuring people are able and supported in in speaking out against these things and any any other ways that we can 
I think it's a mixture of things so like I think something you touched on earlier like calling out your friends and it's not just guys like girls too obviously um mm. like I've had friends that have made jokes that I'm like that's just not appropriate or pointed things out you know and it is it is hard because sometimes it's like you're kind of seen as like a fun sponge it's like oh well you just don't want to have fun or like you're just boring or you're just really cynical like you know and it's really hard to pull things out if that is the situation you're in and at that point I would suggest rethinking those friendships but like it is difficult especially in a group setting if you're like the odd one out and there's like you know I understand like I understand why people do it don't do it but I think it's so important in moving forward because if people you trust and people you care about start telling you that you're at your like behavior is not acceptable you're gonna listen yeah because like those are the people that you care about and those are the opinions you care about and those are the people that shape who you are Mm -hmm. and so I think that's like a really important thing um and then just like education I don't think there's enough education on it in um for like young people because I think if we learn about it younger in life although it's like definitely a sensitive topic and it would be something that they need to like they would need to collaborate with I think sex education educators and things like that to put it into the um like the I think of the word like the like into the, the curriculum yeah <laughs> um because it is so sensitive like I think that would help a lot for like for future generations growing up like I would hope that that would reduce it a lot because you would just learn about it at a younger age and it would I think for me it would help to empower women and empower anybody that gets that is a victim of harassment to be like this is harassment and to like come to terms with it because like I think another issue is a lot of people will brush it off and it does affect you and it's so easy to be like I'm fine it's and not talk about it because it's a sensitive issue and you don't want to relive it by talking about it and all of the things like that I think if we if we just like talked about it earlier in life that would all be easier and if we empower people and tell them like it and I think part of it is like when it's criminalized this will become easier because it's like you'll talk about it and you'll have that support to talk about it and it's mm. yeah I yeah I feel like that was really messy but I hope you got no you not, not at all okay yeah I agree I agree uh let's move on to quick fire questions they're slightly less um okay. all over the place this week <laughs> I felt like they got they reached a point <laughs> where yeah. they were just what was it we had last week I can't even remember the crazy ones we had last week but talking about cranes and how they're built and that kind of thing. It's ridiculous. Do you know how uh, My first one. I do not. Okay. I'm not going to explain no, it I've explained it for the past three podcasts, but after the podcast, go and research shoe in a love in a box and uh, how cranes are built. That's, that would be my two recommendations. I feel like we should just open the podcast from now on with a video of the crane being built. Yeah. Just so, so we don't have to address it's amazing. it. It's amazing. <laughs> I just like, yeah. Yeah. It, it is amazing. Okay, look at that. <laughs> um, my first question is, in order to further move towards a greener society, what do you think should be the first priority? Phasing out, phasing out fossil fuels. Okay. Katie? Um, renewable energy. Or renewable energy. I, I think like my basically the same thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> my <laughs> my uh, 
my uh, my answer would be the what you mentioned earlier, Jack. The whole holding or imposing some kind of rules against these these top five percent of of uh, organizations. Five companies, not even five percent. Yeah, sorry, companies. yeah, five companies. That, that's what I would encompass in, in phasing out fossil fuels. It's like saying to right. these. I was gonna go on a sweary tirade then. Saying to these awful <laughs> companies that you can't continue to destroy the world to make mass profits, yeah. and, and and put in through policy, putting in place, and in place. It has to be um, through policy. That's the but, thing because it's not going to happen. Absolutely, they're not going to just change pressure, their mind. They're not going to. No, no. of course not. Because otherwise, they would have done it by now. We all know how despicable and disgusting it is. Um, so that would be my first step. Yes, and then yeah. using all of that. Uh, money and all of those funds and all of those subsidies and pushing them into other areas like Katie yeah, said. I agree. My next question is, do you think Scotland will be independent in 10 years? No. Nah. I'm going to say yes, just to be different. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I, mean, I think we're... In 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're... It's looking more and more likely as every year goes by. I don't think it's dead set that... Um, if there was a referendum that Scotland would vote to become independent. And I also don't, another big factor is, um, well, there's two. One, it's not certain that there's going to be the possibility of there being another referendum anytime soon, especially under this government. And also they're going to leave the EU. They're going to leave the EU and rejoining the EU is an incredibly long process that um, it, it, it will be, would be difficult, in my opinion, to see that being fast-tracked for, for any country because the EU wants to um, ensure that it's a difficult thing to join and there's lots of criteria that have to be met and although Scotland would meet lots of those, I don't know off the top of my head if they'd meet all of them. So uh, they would be in limbo for a long time. Um, so no, I don't think I don't think they will. My next question is, is mainstream pornography good or bad for society by mainstream do you mean like Pornhub uh, yes but sites like that yeah but m- m- well kind of the production companies because Pornhub is basically just a yeah. place for okay. all these videos to... yeah. so bad okay bad but I think there's a place for porn it just needs to be done differently I completely agree but I think yeah me too Different. Oh, sorry, I keep adding nuance to the quickfire questions, and it's not the point of the bloody segment. <laughs> Feel free to. It's fine. We're relaxed here well, at Demographica. It, it, <laughs> the production no, companies and that kind of, of pornography that's the problem, in my opinion. And yes, you mentioned it earlier, Katie. It's empowering those that are involved is what we need to be doing. Um, and I think that there is, ob- of course, a place for pornography in, in society, and there should be. But the the individuals should be the ones that are empowered. The creators should be the ones that are empowered. Something that's so fantastic about OnlyFans, um, although I know they've changed some of their rules recently, is that it empowers the content creators. And something that pisses off misogynists is the fact that um, porn creators uh, or, or you know creators of this content are now empowered. It's that we we can actually profit in a major way off of you wanting to consume our bodies. Um, and I think that that annoys people, and it's definitely the direction that it should be it should be taken in. Yeah. Oh, she's moving. Moving to my charger. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> about to die. <laughs> um, sorry. I now I can't stop thinking about you said consume our bodies, and it sounded like cannibalism. Um, 
uh, yeah, I think there's a there's uh, there's tons of um, educational positive porn out there. I think um, that doesn't really that's normally behind a paywall and doesn't feature on sites like Pornhub. But I think that those should be uh, so it should it should there should be a transition from from mainstream porn to that kind of porn because I think it encourages safe sex as well as like i said educational um aspects it's as well isn't it it's the normalization yeah. of those things and it not all being mm-hmm. taboo and it being open and talked about and uh, there being support out there for people that are participating in it and there is so much exploitation in mainstream particularly mainstream pornography um and because of the lack of legislation it's not always we don't always have the ability to be able to enforce and stop that so uh, same for, for sex workers as well. I mean, that's another industry that's been mm. massively ignored. And um, uh, there's, you know, lots of risk involved in that um, uh, industry. There just shouldn't be. There just shouldn't be. Um, so, yeah, I'd say the same yeah. for, for that industry as well. Mm-hmm. My final question is from, is from Jack Street. Um, and it's, if you could only drink one drink besides water, tea, and coffee for the rest of your life, what would it be? Changing the tone from tackling these really important <laughs> issues. <whatever. laughs> um, yeah. A, a berry oasis. <laughs> berry oasis. Do you know what it actually is? But it's the red one. Like it's yeah. like purpley red. No, I think I know which one you mean. Right. Yeah. yeah that that would be my choice. I don't know. You've torn the rug out from under me with this question because <laughs> because I solely survive on water like it's all I ever drink yeah. and <laughs> which is good yes but um I'd say water is definitely I, my I, number one of course which is why I included it and, and yeah. tea and coffee because I, t- I wanted to give myself more options because all I drink is water tea coffee and different kinds of alcohol and that's why I wanted to yeah. give myself more of more of, more of more and you of can't pick an alcoholic beverage without sounding like an alcoholic so I wanted to add <laughs> coffee and tea. <laughs> yeah. But I, 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 my, pick, my pick is an alcoholic beverage. Is it? Yeah. Is it? Well, all I drink... But you'd have to drink is... this all day. No, no, you silly boy. Drink shit water all day. Water, tea and coffee. You don't have to... I'm just not going to just be drinking pints all day. You can have water, tea and coffee. Oh, but your question is if you could only drink one drink besides water, tea or coffee. No, did I put that? Except, yeah, you did. <laughs> except water, tea, and coffee. I just right, did. So you... No, I put except. Did you? Oh, maybe. Well, so yeah, so that means no water, tea, or coffee, right? <laughs> no, you can have water, tea, and coffee. No, as in you pick a drink that's not water, tea, yeah. or coffee. Oh, I thought you were saying if you, you had to have survive on only well, one you'd drink die, for the rest you? of your you'd life. Die. You would die. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you would, but... So I thought got, that was the question. <laughs> you've got water, tea, and coffee. You can pick one more beverage that you're able to drink. Oh. Brett Lee, what is that beverage? That's way that's way more boring of a question. <laughs> do you think that Katie is going to want to survive on Berry Oasis for the rest of her life? But yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I would pick water and then Berry Oasis and then orange juice. So, I'm set that's... with water, so... No, you have to pick a I'll add milk. Drink. I'll add milk. Milk? <laughs> yeah, because it's the only I other beverage. I... Okay, fair enough. This is what, yeah, this is what we disagree on, most viscerally. <laughs> this is the most heated <laughs> heated debate of the uh, podcast. It's always these questions. 
Mine <laughs> would be yes. Spitfire Kentish Ale. <laughs> I'm just. I'm Closely still. Follow. I'm still just imagining that as your only drink. I just live in a weather spoon. Really dehydrated, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. No, no, with water, water, tea, and coffee in the day. Okay. With dinner. Some spitfire. I'm disappointed by your pick, Brett, I'll be honest with you. But, alas. Yeah. I'm going to stick with it. Um, and okay. on that note, <laughs> thank you very much for joining us, Katie. <laughs> thank you. It's been really, good. it's been really good to have you on and, and to catch up. Yeah, it has been very interesting as well. Yeah, very interesting topics. Really <laughs> uh, um, normally, I'd ask if there's anything you want to promote anywhere, but you're is not. There? Uh, is that? <laughs> no, not at the moment. I don't think so. I would. Uh, promote the campaign um that we talked about earlier the um crime not compliment uh campaign if anybody is remotely interested in trying to make it agrees with us and tries and wants to try and make that change i would recommend checking it out and signing the petition that they uh they they created yesterday but yeah other than that thank you uh, for listening thank you katie again and uh, we'll see you next week thank you, thank you. bye